This is a Founding Media podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Great Society, a podcast about people who are working to elevate the voices of others. I'm your host, Constance Dykusen. My guest today is Meg Erskine, the co-founder and director of Multicultural Refugee Coalition. MRC brings together skills-based education with social entrepreneurship to connect refugees to dignified fair wage work. I was so excited to talk with Meg because a lot of my work is with refugees, and I love what she and her team are working on. We chatted about their many social businesses and how they've moved her organization and her leadership from 1.0 to 2.0. Here's my conversation with Meg. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Great Society. I'm your host, Constance Dykusen. I'm here with Meg Erskine from Multicultural Refugee Coalition, or MRC, here in Austin. Thanks, Thanks. so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Hey, yeah. Um, I wanted to start with the beginning, um, your beginning, more precisely. I remember um, talking to you before. You told me that you're a bat biologist. It's true. Yes, I have a background in ecology and conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the many years of my early career were spent um, with birds and bats and conservation areas around Austin. Um, so what, so originally did you come to Austin to work with bats? I know we have a famous bridge and famous bats. I know, right? No, no, no. I'm originally from Houston, but came up to go to school, um, here at UT studying ecology and then just stayed as, as many of us do. Um, how, how, what got you interested in working with refugees? Yeah. So I had always thought that I would do something in international conservation biology, but I'm firmly rooted here in Texas with family and just had other things going on. And so I reached out to, um, teach English to Austin's refugee population through Interfaith Action of Central Texas. And that really changed my life. What made you want to start MRC? Um, well, that is an interesting question. So um, I, let's see, I was thinking back to those times, um, was really inspired by the refugees that I met through teaching English and just hearing their desires of um, just wanting to be connected to the community. And I feel like I've always taken a systems approach to my career and the way I think um, and just really a strong connector. And so really just listening and learning and hearing from them saying, you know, I want to get my hands in the dirt. I'm I'm not a farmer or a gardener, but um, I could connect and find those places for them to re, uh, you know reconnect back to that piece that was really important to them. Um, and same with the women in sewing. They just said, I want to learn to sew. So one of our early uh, co-founders, Sarah Stranahan, taught many, many refugee women how to sew. Um, and then we had two other co-founders, Johnson Doe and Paltia, two Liberian refugees. And I will never forget those early days when they really invited me in and said, you know, we really want you to do this with us. And I really had lots of time to really question about why why me? You know, I'm glad to connect and, make, you know, connect where I can and make a difference. But really, you know, a white woman from Texas, how, how what kind of role can I play in, in a refugee organization? And I will n- never forget that moment when um, I met one of those co-founders in the parking lot of CBS on South Congress. And he basically said, we really see this in you. We want you to lead this organization. And we believe um, in you. And, and we want you to do this. And Sparks flew from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes and certainly in my heart and just said, wow, okay, this is one of those life-changing moments. And I've been dedicated to the cause ever since. That's awesome. Did you have nonprofit experience before that? or No. <laughs> so that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I um, took a course at ACC um, Nonprofit Leadership. Um, it was a year-long program in that. Um, but really what I find a lot in nonprofits and um, hopefully in leadership is just really – 
bringing whatever skill you have to the table um, and finding out the resources that if you don't have it, then finding out where you have that either by building up your team or, you know, getting those skills through any sort of course or support. We have lots of support here in the Mm -hmm. Austin area, which is grateful. Yeah. So with three other co-founders as well, how did you guys start to enlist people to believe in your vision, to get behind you, to start funding the projects that y'all saw as essential for transforming the lives of refugees? Yeah, so our organization has really evolved a lot over the years. So the the first several years were really built um, at the community level. We had a community center in the heart of the refugee community where refugees could come and um, they could sew, they get connect, connected to those community gardens, had programs for kids. We I remember this, that. I went to one of those. I that remember. was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. And it was a great way for people to interact with refugees and get connected um, and just offer their help um, that they could but I would say, and that was great, and we're so glad we did that. And I'm actually, that's uh, one of the pieces to our success, I believe, is just really getting to listen and learn and um, hear exactly what the needs needs were. I'm really passionate about this idea of not being a top-down um, type of organization where we have some big, bold idea that we're going to impact somebody, but rather listening and learning and hearing and, and really doing it together. So I feel like that's what the early years were about at MRC was just, you know, kind of hearing um, the needs and where we should go and how we could support. Um, but I will say that I felt like we were kind of doing too much. You know, it's it can be um, easy to uh, – There's the needs are great, as you know, in the refugee community. Yeah. I've been there where all of a sudden you just kind of go to show up for tea and then all of a sudden you're Absolutely. driving everywhere and doing all the things. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really grateful that um, we are where we're here today with um, Social Enterprise and um, I can tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, how, who are the refugees in your community? Like who are you serving? Where are they from? Tell me about that. And that's probably changed because I know that the populations change from year to year based on Absolutely. who's coming. It's changed quite a bit. In the early years, we had a lot of refugees from um, different parts of Africa. So Congo, um, Liberia, um, those were kind of, I guess, the main countries, Eritrea and Ethiopia. But now, um, over the years, it's really shifted. I would say today, we mostly work with a lot of folks from Iraq and Afghanistan, still still some from Africa and Congo, um, and still some of the um, Nepali refugees that are around. But yeah, the, the composition has really changed over the years. Um, so from that community center, kind of what was the next iteration of your model, or what did y'all work on next? Yeah, so we um, were grateful to have trained a lot of refugee women in sewing that went on to go work at another social enterprise in Austin called Open Arms. And that was um, founded by another group of of women um, who was working to um, provide jobs for refugee women through making skirts and scarves made out of recycled T-shirts. And we had trained through our community center a lot of the women that had gone on to work there. Um, And Leslie and Lacey of Open Arms said um, about five years into their work that they would like to offer this as a gift, as a revenue generation um, opportunity for our nonprofit and felt like that could make a big difference to the refugee community. And it certainly has. Yeah. So that was such an incredible gift. They donated all of their um, industrial sewing machines and the model and the initial employees um, to have a smooth transition. And uh, that was really a significant change for our organization that led us to um, so the social impact competitions in town like Philanthropitch. Um in 2015. And out of that, we did um, three years of work through Mission Capital's Accelerator Program, as well as Unlimited USA's Incubator Program. So we, as I mentioned about nonprofit support or social impact support, there's a lot of support for, for folks here in Austin that are wanting to do that sort of thing. 
But through that process, one of the things um, was a, t you know, kind of taking a look at our community center model and then how do we blend that in with this new social impact model um, and realized we were just doing way, 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 way too much. Mm -hmm. And when we realized the thing that we did the best was really training folks in workforce development um, and then being able to connect to those resources. So we are now fully focused on providing livelihood opportunities for refugees and no longer have that community center. Okay. And so with the, the sewing program with Open Arms, you've been able to work with Ikea yes. and Miranda Bennett, I know, here in town. What, what else has that kind of that kind of level of professionalism, what has that brought to your community? Oh, my gosh, so much. And we're so grateful for all of the partners that we've been able to work with. One of the shifts that happened during that time was that we no longer did direct-to-consumer work in the sewing business, but we changed to private label textile manufacturing. And IKEA was one of our first partners right out the gate in um, early 2015, which was absolutely incredible. Um, we did a line of uh, pillows and wall hangings and such made out of upcycled fabric. And um, we had to pass all of their audits, other safety audits, financial audits and everything, which really provided a lot of credibility for our organization and the partners that we'd work with thereafter. Mm -hmm. um, but we are just incredibly grateful for those partners like Miranda Bennett Studio, um, Newton Supply Company, and just all the folks that just make it possible through their, you know, their continued success um, and growth helps us succeed in growth. Mm -hmm. So we're just direct partners in that way. And it's just become a, a really beautiful, um, growing community of yeah. folks supporting this. So you went from people sewing sometimes to having like a full-time textile manufacturing yeah. business. And then you also went from people gardening sometimes to having like a full working farm. Can you, tell me, about, can you tell me about your agriculture experience? Yeah, absolutely. And so what we uh, determined through that was that we it just made a lot more sense if we were going to you know, be training folks into work in one area um, and looking at all the different needs that refugees have and what could um, help solve some of those needs overall is a really good paying job where they can contribute their unique skills. Um, and that's why we really focus on the word livelihood because it's about, mm -hmm. you know, fair, fair work, um, you know, upward mobility, opportunities to contribute your unique knowledge or skills um, and leadership opportunities. And so that was certainly the case in sewing. Um, we have a lot of folks who have gone through the training and now are um, managers in the program and then same for the agriculture program. So we were at three community gardens in the Austin area, mainly just having a chance for folks to connect back to that to the land and, and growing things that were familiar to them. Um, but I love that because when you'd walk around the garden, you'd see like a garden from Nepal that would have, I don't even know what, you know, like coriander or something. And then you move on to the next one and the vegetables would be specific to where everybody was from. It was absolutely. like a really beautiful visual representation of really was and all the trellises they yeah. built and the big gourds they would grow and all sorts of things. It was very beautiful. We still have one of the community gardens going at Lanier High School because we helped to form that one. There's 20 refugees that still far, uh, kind of garden there at a small scale. But in 2017, we had the opportunity to... Um, work with some work with a local landowner out in Maynard. Um, we were visiting his. He's got a small farm on his property, and we were visiting that farm one day and harvesting some potatoes. Um, and he happened to just say, you know, well, what else are you guys looking for? How how can I help? And Wendaka, who's our farm manager, was out there, and he said, well, you know, we are looking for land because that was part of our strategic vision was to Way try to go, to Wendaka. Get that out there. He does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we took on that land. Um, we've got 12 acres that John um, Beal, a local conservationist, 
has um, allowed us to use. And we are now growing all sorts of things, um, vegetables for the local markets and restaurants. We're at the downtown farmer's market. You have a CSA? Yes, we have a CSA. Yep. Join us on our website, mrcaustin.org, to learn more about that. Um, And then we're also at various restaurants like Glenoir, and we're looking to add others. And then we also grow very specific uh, products for Miranda Bennett Studios. We're growing some dye materials for her that we're very excited about, Um, some hibiscus tea for Texas Roselle, and some beans and um, grains for uh, Barton Springs Mill. I really love that because I feel like you've kind of integrated yourself into existing supply chains and into like the fabric of a community. And so it's not just like you're this project on the side or like a lot of times nonprofit social enterprises can kind of just be something, you know, um, extraneous sometimes, let's be honest. And so but I really love that you've really woven yourself into the fabric of Austin and you've figured out what's going to be what's going to have longevity, what's going to be sustainable um, and impactful. And I love that you've invited your community into that. So yeah, well, thanks. Um, It's really neat to kind of reflect on that and think, Maybe there was a good reason I stayed in Austin and not um, was able to go out and do this international conservation conservation work that I really desired to do. But mm-hmm. um, definitely deeply rooted in Austin, um, and that's one of my greatest joys is to be able to ch- is to connect these various communities mm-hmm. and really have a very transparent uh, supply chain and, and one that can be directly engaged with um, that's fair and um, it's just creating just beautiful communities amongst all these various partners and yeah. really excited about that. And it seems like through the incubators as well, you've had to kind of challenge yourself as a leader to move from 1.0. Like in the – I feel like we all started this uh, – you know, we're somewhat contemporaries. Like we started this a while ago and then you move from this 1.0 space of just helping people or opening a community center. I've done that. Um, <laughs> and then in kind of moving and needing to be um, more sustainable. So how is that transition for you as a leader to go from being – you know, to show up to like kind of want to help but then moving into like your – leading you're an entrepreneur now like you have several businesses how has that been yeah we we have three separate businesses that are part of the multicultural refugee coalition um and it's been really fun um it's just it's really kind of evolved naturally and um I feel like at the right pace. Mm-hmm. Again, most of all of them have come from a place of expressed need and kind of taking that next step and taking that next step. And that's where we are today. But yeah, it was, a, it was also a, a great way to become more sustainable because, as you know, as a nonprofit, you're always looking for funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have a revenue model that's on target to be 80% earned income this year and that's 20% amazing. philanthropy. And that just helps so much. That yeah. just helps just so many things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm grateful that we're there. And I encourage other nonprofits to really look at ways that they can also have a revenue gener- generator, whatever it may yeah. be. That's so good. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit now about refugees, kind of like who they are, why they come to America, who are some of those in your community. Um, sure. I've had the privilege of getting to know refugees and kind of be a part of the community for like the last 10 years. And it's yeah. just, to me, it's been so fun to be able to just go to somebody's home and either have super sweet tea, like if you're in somebody's home, or Absolutely. to go and to have super sweet coffee or, you know, like to get to know their cultures and communities that way. But how, how has it been for you working in the refugee community? Yeah, very similar. Um, you know, always so kind and generous and opening their space up um, to you anytime they if you come and visit. Um, but I feel like that's the way it is also working with refugees. Just today at our open arms studio, there was some um, sweetbreads that were out on the table that were uh, cooked by one of our Afghan refugees. It was just everybody wants to sort of share a piece of their culture mm-hmm. and with each other. And I love that. Um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, refugees are here and wanting to contribute. Um, that's one of the things that I most love about what we're doing is being able to provide 
jobs for folks um, that don't necessarily have to have the, whether they're English or social network to find those jobs, but they can uniquely contribute just as they are. There's a woman that we work with on the farm who has never actually worked ever in her whole life. She um, doesn't speak English, doesn't read or write in her own language, but she's one of our greatest farmers. She has, Mm -hmm. that's what she has to contribute. And I guess that's just one of the things that I love so much and encourage people to sort of know and listen and learn from from the refugees that are here because um, mm-hmm. they have such amazing skills and amazing stories um, to share with all of us. Yeah, I like that kind of reminds me of what you said about being you personally being invited. I feel like kind of all of us, no matter where we're from, refugee, non-refugee, American, um, new American, like we almost kind of wait for that invitation or maybe that's maybe that's a female thing. I don't know, a stereotypically <laughs> female thing, but like kind of wait for that invitation. And I think it's you seem like you got called into things and now you're able to call women, people, you know, men and women into that space of finding their calling, contributing in the ways that they can. So that's really cool oh, that it's thanks. come full circle. Yes, absolutely. Um, what does an income allow a refugee to do? Like how have you seen lives transform because of the you know, livelihoods transform because of the jobs that you got in the job training you guys offer? Yeah, so much. It's um, it's significant. And we're wanting to really focus on making sure we document that a lot more this year. Um, you know, folks have been able to have a steady income, um, been able to, I mean, the typical stuff that you'd be able to do, um, you know, having a, a, an income. But for a refugee, that's a really big deal to get your first car mm-hmm. or to um, buy your first home. Or really even just for mothers to be able, and one of our team members from Open Arms was able to be able to buy her um, her daughter who was on the tennis team at her high school all of her equipment that year That's and not awesome. have to be on the sort of the charity side of things. And so it's just incredibly empowering to be able to do that yourself with your own income. Um, so yeah, we've seen we've seen lots of different situations. I love that. And so you you referred to three businesses. Did I miss one? What was the third Shared business? Shared Voices. Shared Voices. So Shared Voices is our interpreter training business. And mm-hmm. so we work with um, both refugees and community members to teach the um, the sort of ethics and background of community interpreting. Um, And that's also in the medical and mental health setting as well. Um, And so that gives refugees an opportunity to make a supplemental income, again, using their unique skill, all these various languages that they speak when they arrive. And that helps, um, you know, our community and then their own community being able to be heard and advocated for better. Um, what, if anything, has changed for you? The, refu- the refugee climate has been changing in the States the last few years. What, if anything, has changed for you in your programs as we're getting – I think I read that, like, that we've gotten the fewest number of refugees in the history of the resettlement program yeah. this and, year. So. And we're under the largest refugee crisis that has ever been since World War II. So yeah. it's just a really terrible um, and sad time and really – we just reflect on the fact of, of just knowing what all goes into refugee resettlement. It's not fast. You know, mm-hmm. as you know, there's so many processes that go on um, back from the very, you know, either home country or, um, you know, country they've migrated to, to getting mm-hmm. to a, a country of resettlement. There's just so much that goes into it and so much has been lost through that process, which is really unfortunate. Um, I would say that we are not directly affected um, as our organization because we – are working with refugees that have already been here. Um, and we have about 22 team members, and over half of those are refugees and most are refugee women, and we're really proud of that. And we're really focused on 
you know, deep impact, long-term impact um, in, in doing that through uh, full-time employment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as you know, there's many refugees that have been resettled over the time. Texas has always been one of the top destinations for refugees. So there's so many more folks that we could impact through our program um, that, the you know, this doesn't directly affect us, but it's just really unfortunate knowing it's the mm-hmm. same population that we work with. And it does affect certain things like family reunifications or other other things like that. It's just, so hopefully that will change yeah. for the better sometime soon. Hopefully. Um, can you tell me a story of one of your one of your entrepreneurs, your social entrepreneurs that's working for you? Sure. Gosh, there's so many. Um, they're like I said, it's a great joy to work with all of them. But one that really stands out is Wendaka. Mm-hmm. Um, he started with us at the Linear Community Garden. He actually helped build it as he was a high schooler there. Um, I, was I just, didn't realize that. Yes. Wow. And I was just so inspired by him because, you know, you can just imagine being a newcomer anywhere. And here he is, comes into that high school and decides that he's going to be student class. Uh, he wants to run for student class president, not knowing anybody, being literally brand new to this um, to this community. And he won. And I just thought that was so great. He's got an infectious smile, um, just a really positive attitude. Um, and so to have him working on our building out our linear garden was really, really fun getting to know him at that point. He was taking um, courses through the FFA program. So he started his kind of far- he's been farming with his family since he was age three. So he's known, you know, so he about- knows a thing or two. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. But, he, you know, of course, having to learn how to farm here in our community and what it means in central Texas. Um, so he really just took right to that, um, got right in it, loved it. And um, he, then he became our community garden coordinator and coordinated all three community gardens. And now he's our farm manager. And what that means is he's able to connect to all the different restaurants, the downtown market, really interfacing with all of the various you know, partners and customers and such. Um, and so he's just he just inspires us, all of us, every day just to keep on learning. Um, he's faced, of course, tons of struggles. Um, and he just he just keeps on with such that positive attitude and that's an inspiration for all of us. And Sounds like a great team member. Absolutely. That's We're good. grateful for him. That's really good. Um, so what's coming up next for you guys? You have so many – you have three businesses. Yes. Um, how do you plan for those or what's, <laughs> what do you – So we are actually going to dive deep into each three of those right now because it's been a significant area of growth for us in the last couple of years. Um, and so we have these three businesses going. Um, there, we're actually under a significant growth time for Open Arms. We just moved into a 6,300 square foot space in East Austin that we're really excited about. Um, we'll have some open houses and other opportunities to come check that out. So check our website, mrcaustin.org. Um, but we're partnering with a company called Project Repat, making custom T-shirt quilts that allowed us to hire an additional six refugee team members just this last month. Um, and then um, by the next several months, we'll be able to bring on several other team members. So we're really excited about that um, and moving into that new space and just finally having a space that we'll feel, we feel like we'll be able to grow into for many years is really exciting um, and the farm, there's just so much work to do there um, always. Um, we're only about a year into our growing season and just installed a very large greenhouse um, with big growing plans there. Um, so, yeah, I would just say like we're diving deep into each one of those and assuring their, um, each one of their sustainability um, and greatest impact. Um, looking back kind of as now you're a multi-entrepreneur, you have many businesses, like do you, do you feel like you've lived out that original intention of why you came to this work? Like has it surpassed your expectations? Oh, or? my gosh, yes. Definitely surpasses expectations. Um, but again, I just really come back to um, this idea of, you know, taking a systems approach and look at 
how folks can use their unique skills. I mean, that's what lights me up in the first place. I mean, that's what lit me up from the very first days of saying, you know, hey, I've got this skill of gardening. Um, In the early days, I didn't say necessarily I want to work in that area, but just a deep desire to be connected. Um, And that really speaks to me and I think to to all of us to really have a, you know, want to be deeply connected to your sense of place and your unique sense of skill. Um, So I would say that keeps me going every day, all the time, and definitely surpassed wherever I thought we would ever be. This is, could have never planned for for where we are today. And I'm super grateful we're here. That's good. Um, This is a question that I ask everybody. How do you define success for yourself? Um, It can just be for yourself individually or for you working at MRC. How do you think about success, especially when dealing with kind of a a long-term, like you've said, thing with resettling refugees? Like sometimes their lives can take a while to get going in the States as it would for any of us if you pick up and move to another country. Um, How do you think about that for yourself? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I guess I would say that it's um, when there is a sense of peace, um, either within myself or our team members and and just this deep sense of sort of satisfaction makes us feel like we're on the right path. Um, so that was definitely a sign of success, in my opinion. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it always has to go you know smooth because none of this always goes smooth, but just having that sense of peace that we are um, on the right path and um, everyone is, is clear on kind of where we're headed. Um, yeah, I would say that that is what comes to mind. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I would add to that. Um, well, now I have to pick. You said some things didn't work out. Oh, geez. Um, the way. <laughs> what was, was there any big, one big lesson that you've learned or one thing that, like that you kind of reoriented your definition of success or? Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, mainly what I'm thinking about is just the sleepless nights of, you know, oh my goodness, will we make payroll this month and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I mean, those are really very stressful times that required lots of focused prayer, meditation, you know, checking in, are we on that right path? Um, but it's been really wonderful to be reaffirmed this whole last year that it may not come as quickly as we want or may not come, you know, maybe even come as we thought it would look like. Mm-hmm. But um, that as long as we're, we're all on this, you know, on this path together and headed towards this common goal of, um, you know, creating livelihoods in a connected community for all of us, then and I feel like we're we're doing the right thing. That's good. So MRC has a birthday coming up this year, we right? We do. We're at our, can't believe it. It's our 10th anniversary this year. Happy anniversary, birthday. However you <laughs> yeah, want to talk yeah. about it. That's Thank exciting. You. Yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Yeah. It's been a journey for sure. So, yeah, we'll have a lot of events and exciting um, you know, opportunities to engage around that, especially in the fall. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing what you, you do yes. and for your community and all that you bring to Austin. So well, thank you. So thank them, actually. Go back and thank your team. Absolutely. For us. <laughs> yes, it is it's all about them, for yeah. sure. Thanks, okay. Constance. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much to my guest, Meg Erskine. To follow Meg and all the MRC projects, go to mrcaustin.org. We will also put a link in the show notes. The Great Society team includes me, Constance Dykusen, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you to everyone at Founding Media for your support. Thanks for listening.